0: Adventure Week was a total blast, and I want to thank any and everyone who were a part, was a part of that week. Man, we had so much fun ministering with, hanging out with, and just uh, just sharing Jesus with hundreds of kids. It was a blast. So many thanks to all of you who were a part of that, for sure. Happy Father's Day, everyone. We are continuing our summer series called All Request summer. Every Sunday for June and July, we're covering topics that you've requested we preach and teach about. And today, we're going to be examining the second coming of Jesus Christ. Days are important when you stop and think about it, and certain days have meaning. They remind us of what counts. In fact, we as a society and as humans, we seem to want to assign some meanings to to uh, some days so that we don't forget the virtue and the the value that we attach to that day because we understand that they're important. They remind us of what counts. I just wished you all a happy Father's Day and we had Mother's Day last month. Our culture still wants to recognize how important parenting is and wants to carve out a time in which we can say thank you to our parents and honor Our parents, certainly we now as Christians, people who pray to our Heavenly Father, we've known that all along, how important that relationship is. Tomorrow is Juneteenth when we commemorate the news of emancipation, finally reaching the last of America's enslaved so Man, we think about what it must have been like to receive that news. Our hearts kind of rejoice in thinking about what that would have been like, and we want to rejoice with them even now, so many years later. And as God's people, we understand the deep preciousness of good news, the good news of freedom from bondage landing on our ears. Amen? A few weeks ago, we celebrated Memorial Day, a day when we remember and honor those who've given their lives in service to us, that's certainly a virtue that Jesus' followers know all too well is worth our attention. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone that they would give, lay down their life for their friends. These are all values and virtues that uh, we as Christians understand are very important, and our society still seems hungry for them as well. But there is a day many want to ignore, but perhaps We recognize that it is a day that should guide and define all our days. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord, or the day of the Lord's return. Now, this subject of the end times, of the last days of Jesus' return, can sound like one of some trepidation, perhaps. Questions abound regarding this subject. And we might be tempted to wish that the Bible was more forthcoming on the exact details. But I believe that God knows what's best, amen? And He knows what we do need to know on this subject, and He has indeed shared it with us. In fact, as we're about to see, Jesus makes some things very plain for us on the subject of His return. So I want to start with Matthew 24. This story is also told in Mark 13. We'll be bouncing back and forth between those passages and a couple others as well. In this scene, Jesus has left the temple in Jerusalem and he's walking away when his disciples come up to him and the disciples call his attention to the buildings of the temple complex. Uh, One of the disciples says to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. They're blown away by what they've seen. It was certainly an amazing architectural feat, the temple and all the surrounding complex of the temple. Jesus says to them, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now that must have been an amazing thing to hear at that moment. It kind of stops you in your tracks if you're the disciples. Are you kidding what I'm looking at right now? Jesus reminds his disciples of something we all tend to forget. The present is not permanent, right? It's our own human nature, especially when the present is pretty sweet at the moment. We can tend to want to just kind of build a a frame around that and then hope we can freeze that frame and keep things just as they are, whether it's our kids growing up or how things are going in our career or our marriage. We just think, man, this is perfect. I don't want anything to change, but things can get better and sometimes things can get worse. The present is not permanent. So here they are. Look, Jesus, they say these magnificent buildings made of such massive stones. How amazing. But Jesus reminds them that none of that, however permanent it may seem, really was. The temple was like anything, unlike anything these guys had ever seen. But Jesus knew that within a generation, Jerusalem would be conquered and the temple flattened. And that's what happened in 70 A.D. History tells us this. We know this is true. And so many things that we think of as magnificent or amazing are actually very temporary. And this is kind of a lesson for us as we consider Jesus' eventual return. Jesus says, do you see all these things? They won't last. The future will not include them at all. And that may be one of the most important lessons we can learn. Jesus goes on, now i are in verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, so he's really piqued their interest, and that's understandable. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus is engaged in some future talk here, you might say. He has done uh, what, we, uh, what we would describe as prophecy. That's what we're entering into here. Prophecy can just be described as God given insights regarding the future. And this has understandably gotten the disciples' attention. So, this thing you're talking about, we already believe you're the Messiah. So, we believe that the Messiah will come and we believe the Messiah will return. And we know that that's significant for the end of the age. And so, you're talking about the future. Tell us when's all this stuff going to happen. Now, let me give you a quick word about prophecy that I've always found. Helpful. It's an image like this one I've chosen. You see this guy here and he's looking across this mountain range. When God gives a prophet, in this case, Jesus himself, the chief of all prophets, so to speak. When God gives a prophet, a vision of the future, one way to think about it is that portrait, that, that vision is given to that prophet and the prophet begins to describe and write down by the Holy Spirit what they've seen. Old Testament prophet. Jesus engaging in prophecy here. We see this in the, Re- in the book of Revelation as well. We, they describe things as they see them. There, some things are in the foreground, quite nearby. Some things are in the distant background. But they see the picture, and the prophet is not given uh, all the details, exactly when is this nearby thing going to happen, as opposed to when is this farther away thing going to happen. And so some things are more imminent, some things are more distant, and the prophet isn't necessarily given insight into those exact details. So the prophet describes the whole picture, paints the whole picture, and that's what we read in the scriptures. And so this, what we just ran into here with Jesus and the disciples, is a perfect example of that. Jesus begins talking about the future, and he first begins to describe something that's going to happen within a generation. That temple will be flattened and Jerusalem will be conquered. Unthinkable to those disciples at the moment, but Jesus knew what would happen. So that's kind of a a mountain in the foreground as he talks about the future. But then he'll also begin to talk about some things that are farther in the future, farther away, all of it in the same passage, all of it prophecy. And we, that happens uh, multiple times as we read prophetic literature in the scriptures. So that's a whole other subject, and it's a huge one, but I've always found that word picture to be a helpful one for me, maybe it to be helpful for you whenever you're reading the Scriptures and you're in a prophetic place in those Scriptures. But for now, let's return back to what we're talking about today in this conversation that Jesus is having. Let's look at how he answers the disciples' question, Let's see what He had to say about His return and how the disciples then came to understand this subject even as they wrote about it themselves in the years following. So we're going to look at three truths this morning. First, Jesus will return. Second, we can't know when. But third, we must be ready. So let's begin at the beginning. Jesus will return. He certainly will. The Bible clearly teaches that time as we know it will one day end and all who have ever lived will stand before God. Jesus promised many things. He promised that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He promised that he would die on a cross and rise again. He promised that his Holy Spirit would live in his followers and give them power for living. And he promised that he would one day return to earth. Matthew 16, he says, For I, the Son of Man, will come in the glory of my Father with his angels, and will judge all people according to their deeds. A little bit later in Acts chapter 1, there's this moment where Jesus ascends to heaven, um, and he's taken from the disciples' sight. And they're standing there, and uh, a cloud hid them, it says, in Acts 1. And then they're looking back up at the sky, kind of watching. And two angels appear, and they say, Hey, guys, why do you stand here looking at the sky? And then they say, This Jesus, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, can we all admit this is a pretty wild idea, right? This is a pretty wild idea. But the fact that God came to earth at all is an equally wild idea, right? So if we can accept the fact that the first coming happened, then the second coming becomes a little bit more believable because we realize that we're operating by faith in a world that's beyond some of our day-to-day comprehension, which is exactly what faith is, or certainly what faith includes. This same Jesus will come back. So what this tells us is we are in the great in-between, in-between the first and what we call the second coming. Now perspectives regarding exactly how this will all go down are numerous, and they can be confusing. Eschatology is what the fancy word for the study of last things or of end times, I believe, warrants few experts. And those who claim that they are an expert should be watched closely and believed cautiously. I certainly don't claim to be one, but I do know these three points that we're talking about today are deeply and undeniably true from a scriptural perspective. There are no question marks in the Bible on this subject of Jesus' return. Only periods and exclamation points. Jesus will return. He assures us it is so. And this reality is a serious one. It's not meant to instill fear or inspire dread, but it is meant to issue a reminder that, number one, light, this life is not all there is, right? When we believe that Jesus is going to return to earth, that suddenly puts everything on earth in a new light. We begin to see, oh, this is not all there is. There's, there's something more here. And the second thing it reminds us of is that Jesus, yes, this Jesus... This same Jesus is King and Lord over everything. No one else claimed to be God in the flesh. No one else died and then claimed to rise again and was shown and proven to do so. And no one else claimed to not only die and rise again, but then to come back. No, Jesus is singular in this claim. It's either either true or it's a lot of big talk, but he's performed so far, and here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the globe, gathered to worship Him, there's something going on here. Jesus has promised that He will return. He really is King over everything. The answer to every question, the fulfillment of every longing. So when we accept His love and grace, when we make Him the Lord of our lives, when we invite Him to walk with us and us with Him, then the idea of His returning one day is a joyous and wondrous idea. We love him, and we'll be glad to see him when that day comes. Jesus will return, but we can't know when. Back to Mark 13, Jesus says to the disciples, as they're asking, hey, when's this going to happen? But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, he said, be alert. You do not know when when that time will come. Yet, for the last 2,000 years, people have been tempted to predict when Jesus will return. And they didn't waste any time wasting their time in doing so. Paul had to assure the Christians in Thessalonica just a couple of decades after Jesus said these words. They were getting stirred up about, when's this going to happen? And some people were saying they claimed that they knew. And Paul's words here are reassuring to us as well. He says, now, brothers and sisters... About times and dates, we don't need to write you. For you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, unpredictably. Don't waste your time or mental and emotional energy being concerned about exactly when, times and dates, our Lord will return, Paul says. Yet people have stayed at this fruitless task of trying to predict the year and even the exact date of Jesus' return. This has been true for generations. Here's just a few examples from the last couple hundred years. Whether it be 1844 or 1988 or Y2K or 2011 or as late as 2022, predictions abound. People will still keep gnawing at that bone trying to make a prediction. Anyone trying to predict this is on a fool's errand. Don't get into their car and let them take you with them. Okay? I don't care how late at night it is and you're channel surfing, change the channel when you see someone like this guy right here with the big charts and the graphs and the lines and the circles and the arrows. I don't care how much fire is on the front of the pamphlet warning you of how bad it's going to be. Just move along. No one knows when Jesus will return. Not exactly. Only that He will. So suffice to say, some things haven't changed since Paul wrote his letter to the Thessalonians. But Peter... In his letter, one of his letters, the second letter, he puts things in perspective for us. He actually faced the opposite problem. Now, this is interesting. Some people, Paul wrote that letter, they're trying to nail down the date. Others were doubting there would ever be such a date. And this is what Peter writes in response to that. Above all, he says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised. That Jesus would return to evaluate each person with both love and grace as well as truth and justice was a core teaching of the faith from the beginning. But Peter gives a warning. Don't give in. Don't fall in with the scoffers. To scoff is to dismiss with maybe a little bit of mockery or derision. To undervalue what should be valued or what what others are valuing and so Peter is addressing the fact that there are some people who are saying you know what I don't think he's ever coming back and then the natural result of that of that as he says is they begin to just kind of follow their own evil desires he says instead wait patiently to undervalue this core teaching so in other words as Christians what do we make of this idea that Jesus is going to return do we undervalue it or scoff at it do we diminish it do we ignore it to undervalue this core teaching, which is what Peter's warning us not to do, is to make Jesus distant and not close by, not near. Then once, once we put Jesus in a faraway place, once we believe that God is far away, the inevitable result is that we will end up following our own, as he puts it, destructive desires, setting our own priorities, pursuing our own pleasures, doing life on our own terms. God doesn't care, we begin to think. He's not paying attention So we do whatever we want, right? No one's watching the store, so let's steal all the candy. With no regard for what's wise or what's good or what's healthy or what's beneficial to others, what God thinks, how God directs, all those things begin to fade into the background once we believe that God is kind of off and not nearby. We put Jesus distant, not imminent. So we shouldn't interpret his coming return to this idea that we're left alone in the meantime. Because we are not. He promises to live in and with us by his Holy Spirit. So Peter goes on, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day, it's like a thousand years. and A thousand years are like a day. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise, as some would understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's saying, look, the reason he hasn't come back yet, though, the reason that this timeline is still open is he wants to keep the doors open. He wants to keep the tables set. He wants to keep the invitation issued that people more and more would have increased opportunity to say yes to him. God is patient with us, Peter says, longing for us to turn to him. He gains only grief when the books of someone's life are closed. And that life was lived in rejection of him. So Peter says, don't misinterpret the fact that he hasn't come back as neglect. Instead, see it as patience. He's very aware of how much he wants to have a relationship with each of the people that he's created. Now, Peter goes on to say, using language similar to Paul and similar to Jesus, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens, he says, will whoosh, disappear. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare and everything done in it, he says. In other words, we're all going to stand in a sense like Adam and Eve, naked before God. Everything will be laid bare. Everything will be open. Everything will be transparent. Everything will be visible and evident to God. Every one of us will be that. And he said, then he asks this probing question. Since everything here today might well be gone tomorrow do you see how essential it is to live a holy life now when we read that word holy life when we read what the scripture is saying we're not talking about a life of moral perfection a plus right where you've got all the check boxes checked and you've done everything just right a holy life meaning set set apart And dedicated to God a life pointed toward God a life open to receiving from God learning from God walking with God a life dedicated and devoted to him don't you see how essential it is he says to live that kind of life since everything here today might be gone tomorrow he says daily expect the day of God eager for its arrival Peter learned the lesson with Jesus that day at the temple. Only what's done for and with Jesus will last, will make it through to the other side. Do you see all these magnificent and massive things? Not one will be left on another. It's all coming down. So, what is our call as disciples of Jesus living before his coming to meet us or are going to meet him for that matter? The lesson is to be patient amidst sin and temptation, to stay strong, to wait. To not get sucked into the temporary pleasures of the world and of this flesh, but to wait patiently for the treasure of the next world. And then while you do, here's the really cool thing, you'll end up finding there are abundant pleasures to be discovered in this world as we live with Jesus in virtue and godliness. This is a great reminder for all of us. Now, no one can possibly know when Jesus will return. That's point number one. So, watch the answer to the disciples' question when will these things happen? The answer is someday. And the Bible keeps adding someday soon. We are constantly admonished that we should be anticipating his return. We've been assured that Jesus will indeed return, that no one can know the time, but the Bible rarely touches on this subject without then providing the implications of this truth. Whenever you see this subject addressed, we find out he will return, we find out we won't know when, and then almost inevitably this next thing gets said. In other words, how we are to live in light of those first two truths. And to summarize, it would be this, we must be ready. Back to Matthew 24, he says, Therefore keep watch, you don't know on what day your Lord will. Will come. Jesus uses several images uh, in the Gospels uh, to drive this point home. There's one parable where he talks about bridesmaids uh, getting ready for the bridegroom to come. They're at a Jewish wedding and their task was to keep their lamps filled with oil and burning because you didn't know at what time of the night. The bridegroom was going to arrive. This is all part of the ceremony of a Jewish wedding. We don't have time to go into all the details. It's really pretty cool and beautiful thing. But, but he makes this point like bridesmaids who shouldn't fall asleep and let their lamps run out of oil, don't you run out of the Holy Spirit. Don't stay filled so you can burn brightly. The lesson's pretty straightforward. He also talks about stewards who make the most of what their master has entrusted to them while the master is away on a journey that they make the most of what's been given to them. He talks about caregivers who feed the hungry and visit the lonely and clothe the destitute, that these are the kinds of things that are going to matter. And then in Mark 13, we read a nice, really concise version of some of these other parables. And he says this, It is as if a man who is traveling abroad had left his house and handed it over to be managed by his servants. He's talking about himself, his first and now his second coming. He has given each one his work to do. Someone say each one his work. Each one his work to do. That includes me and it includes you. And has ordered the doorkeeper to be on the lookout for his return. Just so must you keep a lookout For you do not know when the master of the house will come. It might be late evening or midnight, or when the rooster crows, or early morning. Otherwise, he might come unexpectedly and find you sound asleep. In other words, live with one eye on the sky, thinking about, aware of, anticipating, even eagerly looking forward to the return of our, the master of our household. He says, what I'm saying to you, I'm saying to all, keep on the alert. You don't want him showing up and finding you asleep on the job. And believe me, we, we just read, we've all been given a job. We all have love to show. We all have a difference to make. We all have forgiveness to, to grant. We all have an embrace to give. We all have work to do in each other's lives, in the world. Love to show. So don't let him find you sleeping. Now, that should not create anxiety so much as urgency. We do have good work to do. We do. And and the time we have to do it, not as long as we think. That's always true, no matter how long it ends up being. And that's the urgency, not anxiety, but the urgency that I think Jesus wants to instill in us by telling us a parable like that one. C.S. Lewis once wrote, and this is, as I wind up here, this is kind of where I want to, want our thoughts to land as we consider these are pretty big things that we're wrapping our head around here in just a few minutes. And he, he, as he so often does, he paints the picture really well. He says, when the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. Right? It will be too late then, he says, to choose your side. There's no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. In other words, he's talking about that day in which Jesus does return and we're told elsewhere in the scriptures, every eye will see him. And in the end, every knee will bow because we'll just, in the glory of the king of the universe arriving back to this planet, everyone will know what's happening at that moment. There's no use in saying you choose to lie down when it's become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we've really chosen whether we realized it before or not. So the unchanging fact remains, Jesus will return. And we get to embrace that. When will it happen? When God has decided. It's like when the kids were little and I would put them to bed at night, they always wanted to cram in one more thing, right? Can you read one more book to me? I want to show you this action figure. Wasn't that a great movie we just watched? And I would have to assure them that the time for bed, it's time for bed, it's time for sleep. The day is over. And for us, as God's children, we can rest in that same trust. The day will be over when our Father says so. It will be so for our world and for this whole universe. There will be a time when time will be no more. Jesus will return. Our Master and Savior is coming. If this reminder that Christ will return serves us at all, it should serve us as a wake-up call. If there's a difference to be made, do it now. If there's a person in need of God's love, share it now. If there's a need to confess, confess it now. If there's a sin, or I mean, a decision to be made, make it now. And be filled then with hope. Titus 2 says, We are filled with hope as we wait for the glorious return of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This hope, this perspective that Jesus gives us of the future is part of the good news gospel according to him. Time is heading somewhere. Time is heading toward someone. And so let's do all the good we can while it is still ours to do. Amen? And draw near to him. Let's do that together as we take the bread and the cup. If you picked up one of these on your way in, I invite you to go ahead and Yeah, pick it up. Jesus talked about this very thing that we're talking about right now the night before He went to the cross. That night, He shared with uh, His disciples what we call the Last Supper. This is what we commemorate every week when we take the bread and the cup. And as He was gathered there with His disciples, He did say these words in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Let those words lean on you today. Even as we've talked about something kind of as vast and amazing is the fact that time will end and Jesus will return it can be kind of overwhelming he says don't let your hearts be troubled trust god and trust me too there are many rooms in my father's house he said i wouldn't tell you this unless it was true i'm going there to prepare a place for each of you and when everything is ready and we don't know all that he means by that phrase and we don't know all that everything would is in, all that everything includes or all that ready means, but we know he knows when everything is ready in heaven and on earth, when our father has decided, when everything is ready, then I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. So as we take the bread this morning, let's just remember in whose hands our lives rest, they're good and trusted hands, hands that received nails, Hands that now embrace you and me. Let's take the bread together. And when we take the cup, Jesus says, we're remembering his blood shed. The bread represents his body given. The the cup represents his blood shed for us to make possible everything that we've just talked about. Let's honor and celebrate and thank him for that and take the cup together. Let's pray. Lord, in the way we live our lives, in the words we say, in the way we love each other, let us be people who are constantly exuding this prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into our lives, come into each day, come into each conversation, come into each task, and yes, come into this world again one day. Help us to be people who are eager to see that day, Come that are prepared for that day. Not perfect, but prepared to meet you because we're confident in your loving grace in our lives. Do we deserve to stand before you? Could we even survive such a thing without your love and grace? Not at all. But the good news is your love, your freedom, your grace has reached us and is ours to receive. So we do it again. We receive it again.